0: Hello friends and welcome back to the intro. This is your host Matt Delavalle aka MDV and I'm joined today on the show by Sherry Chan. Sherry's an absolute legend in the world of CrossFit. She's an OG in the community and one of the most well-respected coaches to ever put on the CrossFit Seminar Staff red shirt. Over the course of a 10-year run on staff, Sherry logged more than 300 seminars while working for CFHQ. In addition, she owned a successful CrossFit affiliate, shout out CrossFit Verve, developed tons of groundbreaking content on nutrition and coaching, and helped grow Train for the Win along with her husband, Matt, to what it is today. Now, bottom line, when Sherry talks, it would be really wise to listen. And I have three other wise recommendations for you. Number one, if you haven't already liked and reviewed this podcast, please go on to Spotify, go on to iTunes, wherever you listen to your podcast and provide a rating and a review. And if you have five stars to spare, I'll take them all. Number two, follow me on Instagram at MDV FIT. I'm doing my absolute best every single day to deliver engaging, fun and motivating coaching content. And number three, August 24th, a really big day for me. That's a Tuesday. That is going to be the launch of my coffee company, Last Port Coffee Company. It's a passion project for me. And if you love coffee like I do, I know you will love the Last Port. So please check us out August 24th. Now, without further delay, grab a notebook, grab a chair, and let's learn a thing or two from Sherry Chan. Let's go. All right, and welcome back to the intro. I'm very excited today to talk to one of my personal legends, one of my personal inspirations in the CrossFit space, Sheree Chan's joining us today. Sheree is an absolute legend. She's a uh, level four CrossFit instructor. She's been on CrossFit seminar staff for a long time. Taught hundreds of seminars over the years. She's an inspiration to countless people out there, and one of the people who really shine the light on nutrition early on in the CrossFit space and Uh, Has done so in a way that I think is very relatable. And Cherie, it's going to be a pleasure to talk to you this morning.
1: My goodness, I don't know how to follow that up. I'm honored for all of the things and humbled by all the things you said. So thank you very much.
0: No, for real. As a a young and up and coming trainer, I think we found CrossFit about the same time, 2007 ish. Um, But you were certainly well into your seminar staff journey when I arrived on seminar staff, and we didn't get a chance to work together too much because you were in the uh, mountain kind of West coast region. I was on the, the East coast, Boston circuit, and there were so many seminars going on in those two places. Um, but I would have loved to work with you at some point. Uh, and hopefully we can continue conversations after this, but you were just telling me that this is probably the most lit up you've ever been about life. You, this is the, the happiest, most full of energy you've ever been. So tell me what that's all about.
1: It is. And I don't know if it has to do with age or it has to do with transitions and the things I'm doing for work or what it is, but, I just feel very happy and content. And I think a lot of it is, is that I went very introspective and stopped mm. the achieving
0: wheel. Tell us what you mean by it. What does that mean?
1: So I feel like we've created this environment in our social media and our society where we're just like, just hustle, wake up earlier to do that. Like you got more time, like achieve, achieve, achieve. Mm. And is like the energy that I'm saying it with is like how you feel when you read all of that. And so you sort of live your life at that frequency, Mm. constantly trying to get the next thing. And it's, that's never been me, Mm. but I fell into that for a good decade of my life, a really long time.
0: That's a long time.
1: It's a really long time. And I didn't, and I was never really in touch with like the actual me, which is way more, you know, outdoorsy and I'm going to want to have a picnic and I want to have a personal conversation with you. And. I don't care about material things, and you know it's like, but I got caught up in thinking that these were the things I was supposed to do. So like, I needed to do this, and it ruled my decision making. Mm. Well, when I quit seminar staff a little over a year ago, made that decision to get off of the road, I went through a huge sort of identity crisis because you know they say that a lot of times you become what you do. Yeah, and I sort of identified myself with my job, and I had sort of forgotten. identity of who I was. So I went on this nice, you know, really hard year of figuring who that was again. And at the end of it, coming out of the tunnel, I was just so much happier because I got in touch with all those pieces of myself and realized that, no, I don't need to be doing 17 million things because I don't really, I'm not trying to be a millionaire or billionaire, achieve the, that's not what I want. That's not me. So stop trying to get that. Mm. So that's why I just feel like energized because I guess I got off the wheel.
0: Yeah, I mean that you can feel the energy and in, in how you're explaining that journey and um you know I, I I certainly can relate to some of that because uh you know when I quit seminar staff I was doing a bunch of different things in my life and being pulled in a, a million different directions and you know for me the the pressure of presenting material. To a hundred, whatever it is, uh, you know, 50 participants at a time, week to week, it just got to be too much for me. I just felt like I was just running, like you were saying, on this wheel. You know, you study, you present, you take a day off, then you study, you present. And then put that into the rest of your fucking life, whether or not it's a relationship, the other job that you have, running a gym, your own fitness, your own well-being, family stuff, and it all becomes pretty overwhelming. So um, I can definitely relate to that. But tell me what what kind of pulled, what was pulling you into that feeling? What pulled you in initially like 10, 10 years ago when you were, you know, in the full swing of your CrossFit seminar staff career and, you know, really getting after it in terms of, you know, you were a multi-time games competitor, you went to the regionals, you had a good amount of success in 2012. What were the factors that kind of drew you into that kind of hamster wheel that you're describing?
1: I think in the beginning it was just being led by things that were fun, mm. you know, because it's all really fun. In the interaction with people and the coaching, like that was never supposed to be my job. Like I was going to school to be a nurse and that oh, wow. was uh, just finishing up his first rookie year as a fireman. So like our life plan had never been to own a gym and like be coaches. But I think what happened was we were just sort of led by pure joy, which is kind of always what leads us. Yeah. And it kind of went in the direction of indoors instead of outdoors, which is what had done for so many years. And then once you're in that space and you have these people under your roof, you have this overwhelming feeling of responsibility. Like almost immediately, Matt and I, like the very first year we had no money and we spent like $10,000 on our own, on our own training to be better. Wow. Because we were like, uh uh-oh. We have to take care of people. <laughs> you know, like, and the only reason we even opened a gym and became coaches was because there was a need. We we didn't have what we needed as athletes mm. in our local area. It was too far away. It was like an hour drive to the gym that we had been going to. And you guys were in Colorado at this time? Yep, still in Denver, same yep. same location. We've moved a bunch since, but we're we're in about the same spot right now as we were then. <laughs> and so it was just really like, hey, we want this. It's not here. Let's offer it to some people around us, uh, some of Matt's uh, coworker fire fighters, and then all of a sudden it just turned into this big thing. Yeah. This business just kept growing, and there was an overwhelming need to do good at what we were doing, and yeah. that's that's what sort of got us on the track of the wheel.
0: Well you know, from an outsider's perspective, the way that you guys entered in and, you know, invested in yourself and created an awesome community at Verve. And then were able to get into, you know, high level elite CrossFit coaching and be very successful on staff and then go and do these other things, have these life adventures and, you know, start, you know, train for the win with you and Matt and a few other people. It's really cool to see all that you guys did accomplish in those 10 years. So, you know, I look at that and go, wow, like, they work their asses off and achieve this really high level of mastery in this craft, which is commendable. You know, the thing I, I talk to a good amount of coaches, and sometimes it gets scary because there's there's coaches that get infected by that same level of fun and and community and comfort, but then spend 10 years not not really doing or creating or moving the ball forward. You know, you guys did a tremendous job of creating an awesome life around. CrossFit and CrossFit coaching gets were very successful.
1: Well, I appreciate that. Um, I, I do feel very blessed to have gone where we did. And, you know, we, in a lot of times you're just in the right place at the right time Mm. on all honesty, but I do sort of attribute that. I think that's something anybody can do. And I think it's something where like, it's sort of a problem in Matt and I's world with a lot of other relationships outside of each other, that we are constantly looking for the best thing. And we're never like settled on, okay, well, we figured it out, hmm. whether it's our relationship or whether it's, you know, a sport that we're doing or whatever it is, it's, it's never we're done. And I think that is the sort of attitude when you're trying to do something really well, it's learning, you have to keep learning. And if you think you figured it out, or you know that it, it is all about the community, but that's, you also have to learn there, like, how do you communicate better with people? How do you learn about you know, behavioral science and Mm. and people's habits. And so it's like, there's always a a thing to learn about and get better about. And I think that's how people get there.
0: Yeah, that can be um, both a gift and a curse for sure. You know, you can become (laughs) way too obsessed with this, I have to be better. Um, You know, I feel that I'm not doing good enough, and you become kind of neurotic in your own self development. But it also can be this extreme gift where, you know, if you balance it right and you have perspective, you know, on yourself and what you're doing, you can achieve mastery at something. And, you know, you guys were, were very, uh, very much able to do that in terms of coaching for you, you know, you've, you've coached hundreds of seminars, you ran a very successful gym, which by the way, I think at the time that CrossFit Verve opened up had the coolest branding that I had seen in the entire CrossFit space. I always was like, man, those guys like nailed it really early on. Cause everybody else was doing this, like weird kind of like barbells crossed over yeah like (laughs) weird shit but you guys nailed the branding um what what in your mind makes somebody a really excellent trainer i know it's a big question but i I would love to hear from your perspective
1: i actually don't think it's as big of a question as maybe people think it is Hmm. and it nails on what you said where people were you're like you can get wrapped up in something well there's a key element to kind of keep you back from that and that is like critically thinking through tearing everything down to its simplest form. So like, if you're, if you're getting caught up in all this education and you can step back and take the good things, well, then you're not wrapped up in it anymore. Mm. You're sort of putting it down to it, its nuances or its, its simplicity. And I think being a good coach is the same way. It's like in continuing to, okay, what's the most important thing and what is the simplest way that I can get there? And just continuing on with that. But that definitely has to be coupled with, because I think my clients now would, uh, would tell me this is probably why they still come to me. Um, it boils down to connection. So can I have the knowledge base? Mm. And if you're able to gain that and make it very simple, can I now connect with other humans in a very real way? Are you looking at them in the eye? It's so simple, right? Are you listening to the things that they say to you? Are your actions a reflection of what they've said to you? Do your actions change because they've communicated with you? That, I think that isn't enough uh, weight put on how important that is with your relationships with your athletes.
0: Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with both of those things. And I want to dive into them because I think they're two very important aspects of being a, a, an excellent coach. Is Number one, you said this ability to have such a deep understanding of the material to be able to present it back to somebody in a simple and understandable way. I, I want to definitely get there. And then connection for sure. This idea of simplicity though, Shuri, uh, you know, I'm sure you have seen a lot of coaches out there, the rush to go from understanding something very deeply to, oh, I'm going to know, I I need to know everything about this and teach this in the most complex and most nuanced way with the most amount of steps and the most uh, kind of big words. You know, that's something that I I see a lot of coaches out there and I don't, I don't necessarily think it's, you know, they're not doing it uh, to be a bad trainer, like give a bad experience, but they just don't understand that that might not be the most effective way to teach somebody something. Can you dive into that a little bit? I think it's a natural progression of learning for anybody. And it's like, and I
1: don't, I don't want to say that someone who's gained a bunch of knowledge is a beginner, but they're a beginner in the sense that you're never not a beginner until you've had a couple decades under your belt kind of thing. Mm. You know what I mean? So it's like, if you've, if you've been in this for three or four years, you're still a beginner as a coach. And I mean that in a loving way, you should be in a journey of growing, but it's still a beginner. So in that stage where you're gathering knowledge, it's really just this desire to give that knowledge. So that's kind of a beautiful thing. And they have to go through that tunnel to see the look back in their eyes and how it isn't connecting. And they have to recognize that in order to change and go through this simplistic phase. So I think it's just a natural progression of gaining knowledge and trying to figure out how to communicate that.
0: Yeah, that can certainly be uh, an aspect of that. You know, um, it it gets really exciting, too, when you learn something new or you first dive into something that's a little bit more complicated, like, you know, the full Olympic snatch or, you know, you learn how to first teach a muscle up or or any of the other more complex skills that we kind of deal with in the cross functional training space. It can be really enticing to try to go out there and, and give all of that to people in the most scientific and movement textbook type of way, but like your members are probably fucking staring there looking at you like, what the hell did this person just say? Um, There's definitely something to that, like to be able to take that complex material and boil it down to really concise and simple instruction. Um, Is there anything that you've noticed in terms of teaching when, when coaches are picking up, you know, and putting on that teaching hat? anything that you've noticed that has given you more success or less success when you try to go out there and teach them, aside from just being simple.
1: I learned how to listen more than I talked. Mm.
0: And as coaches and as
1: trainers, we talk a lot. And like, we feel as though there's almost this pressure that we have to deliver you all of this information as the athlete. And if I don't do that, I'm not doing my job. And when I sort of flip that a little bit, And, you know, I used to be called intense all the time. That was a term that people used to use for me all the time. You're so intense. (laughs) And I'm just like, what does it mean? (laughs) I just didn't, yeah, like I just didn't really understand it. And after, you know, several hundred times of people (laughs) telling me I was intense, I was like, I want to slow down a little bit and figure out if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Like I need to listen to sort of what that is. And that's what sparked my interest in listening more. And so when I stopped teaching, if you will, and I started listening more, I became a coach. So there was a big
0: difference, big, big shift for me there. How did you practically apply that? Like, can you give me an example of how that actually came to life for you?
1: I think the the action that's taking place is that you have all this stuff you want to say. And you stop yourself from saying it. And you legitimately (laughs) look in somebody's eyes and you instead of saying all the explanations you want to give, you ask a question. So that was the practical application when I was like, you know, someone gives you this long explanation and you already know the answer because you've seen it a hundred times and you know, you've you you got this. Stop and ask another question first. Mm. And then allow that to lead into more questions. Yeah. And then when they have felt heard, because they don't generally feel heard when you're just talking at them, then you can sort of distill for yourself kind of all the, what they said to me, here's the little piece they actually need
0: Mm. and just leave it at that. They'll come for more, let it leave them like wanting. (laughs) Well, that's a beautiful way to explain it And, and a different take on teaching that I think most people would have in terms of when you go out there and try and coach something But I would say that also probably creates what you were talking about earlier, which is this deeper connection with your athletes when you're actually listening to them and you're asking them questions and not just waiting for your turn to speak. So tell me about connection and the importance of it. So
1: that's an interesting one, because when I finished finished up my career with CrossFit, I was trying to decide what I was going to do. And I was like, maybe I'm going to go back to school. And one of the things that I actually wanted to do was go back to school to be a therapist. Wow. Um, I'm almost 50, so going back to school to be a therapist is it's like, okay, how much money, how much time do I want to spend my time that way? Uh, if I was still in my 30s, maybe I would. And I know people that are listening to this be like, you're never too old. <laughs> I don't think I'm too old to do the work. It's whether I want to do the work. Um, <laughs> so I just want to put that into perspective. Um, and so for me, that side of it has always sort of been a passion in the coaching side, like really listening, to people and understanding where they're coming from. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know why that's been a piece that's always been important to me, Mm. Um, but it really has been. And that has been a really nice compliment with my husband when we coach things together Um, because he is very precise on technique and action. And I'm a lot more precise on like behavioral science. And well, you're saying that honey, but it's not gonna happen because of this. And he's saying, well, you're listening to this, honey, but it's not going to happen because you didn't look at this. <laughs> so it's been a pretty cool combination to sort of bounce off of each other and have that perspective.
0: Yeah, that's a beautiful balance. Um, I, you know, I, I, I really um, appreciate your take on simplicity and connection there. I, I think that if coaches generally focused a little bit more on those two things, teaching a little bit more simply and also Going through that process of actually listening to your athletes and not just kind of telling them what you think right away, and then also in investing more time in actually connecting with your athletes, both on the floor and off the floor, people would see uh, much higher levels not only of success generally, but I think of athlete success as well. Um, you spent a, a lot of years on CrossFit seminar staff, and you know did, over ten. Yeah that that's fucking amazing. That's unreal. <laughs> it- that's. That's what, two, uh, did you get close to 200 seminars? I,
1: uh, hit over three.
0: Wow. Holy cow. Cause I read something, it was like published in 2015 about you, where you were just at like 150 seminars. You got to 300 seminars. That is amazing. I did. Yeah. I think when we, we had done a trainer summit and they had, I was at
1: 297, there was a few months left before I actually turned in my notice and I had hit over three. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: I think I only, uh, stayed on for like 40 or 50, but in the course of 300 seminars, you worked with not only thousands and thousands of thousands of athletes, but you worked with hundreds of red shirt trainers. And, you know, I think that's something that everybody in the CrossFit community who coaches looks to the red shirt community or the red shirt team and and goes, wow, that is that those guys are beacons of knowledge. They are the absolute pinnacle. Aside from the things that we already discussed, Are there any common traits that you noticed among the top performers or the people who really excelled on seminar staff?
1: That's a really interesting question. And I think generalizing that would be really tough. Mm.
0: Um,
1: So I think I would distill it down to passion for the product. That would be the common denominator. And, And there's a difference in like loving something and wanting it in your life in sort of having a passion for that particular thing, you know, and, and when you truly like it, when it becomes a part of you, well then that just bleeds out, you know, and there was just a desire to be the best they could at that thing. Yeah. I think that's the one common link.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's a great answer. I also uh, would say, you know, that passion, these people are making, Tremendous sacrifices um, in their personal lives, which a lot of people don't see behind the scenes. You know, not only like we talked about briefly earlier that that cycle of studying and making sure you're prepared, but also the travel and the time away from family and the, and the weekends and the the different events and holidays and things that you end up. I don't want to say missing, but you sacrifice those. You miss them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess you, could, yeah. You miss. <laughs> you're not there. You so See, you miss them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dave's not going to come slap my wrist anymore. I don't have a red shirt on, but yeah, you miss them, right? <laughs> you miss them. That's just a fact. <laughs> yeah, that that can be tough. Well, tell me. I mean, what kept you on the? I can guess, but what kept you on the team for ten years? If you know, there's a lot of stuff over the course of ten years you might have missed or um, sacrificed to to do that. I mean, I just had a real love for it. Yeah. The people, the
1: travel, you know. my growing up in my background I don't think I ever I remember it as like a teenage girl like dreaming about going to Hawaii and like in my mind that was never going to happen it was just a dream you know in the in the way that I grew up and then here I find myself on this team of people who are training physical movement which by the way it's like if I could do anything in the world it's move at least love moving and So here I am on this team of people who their whole job is to teach people how to move better and to be a little bit healthier. And I'm filling a passport at the same time Yeah, in, you know, meeting people from all over the world that just sort of like really opens up your heart and it really opens up your mind and you can't get that from anything but travel. You really can't like, you have to go to other countries and see the way people live and see the way they interact and, and just open your heart to all those things. And it changes you as a person. And I think that piece of it was just so fulfilling mm-hmm. to be able to feel like a part of that.
0: Yeah. Do you have a favorite trip? Do you, do you remember a, like a singular favorite location somewhere across the globe? Because over the course of 300 seminars and being as talented as you were, and are I'm sure they booked you everywhere they could. You have, you I had ever... like two
1: years where I think they hated me. <laughs> 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 they sent me, uh, you're going to Spain and then you're going to Chile and then you're going to Brazil. And it's like it was it's people say they hated you. What? That's amazing. And that is amazing. But like back to back, that's really difficult. Um, so I there are a ton of trips that I remember. but. There is one trip in particular that I've never forgotten, um, and it was the very first series of seminars in Brazil. Mm. And a group of uh, trainers, it was uh, Jesse Ward, myself, and Lance Cantu, it was just the three of us, um, and the three of us spent 12 days in Brazil wow. together. And uh Ricardino who's on staff now uh he was the trainer at the gym there he took us around and took us these little farms and like really showed us the culture and the people and I don't know I've just never forgotten that trip because it was this brand new group of people in this brand new country who were just like it made me feel the way that I had felt when I found CrossFit yeah and I was a part of that with them and that was just a really cool gift
0: yeah, the, the, the passion that exists in, in Latin and South America, even today, but, you know, certainly when it first kind of caught fire uh, down there, down south in, in South America, it was un, unmatched, the amount of passion that they had for it. And also, I appreciate you bringing up Lance Cantu. What an unsung OG hero of the CrossFit community. I think yeah, Lance might have actually done my level one.
1: Yeah, he gem of a human being. Yeah,
0: he's yeah. the be- he's the best. I-, I would have to I don't know what he's up to at all these days. I haven't kept in touch with him, but um I- I'm gonna have to go look him up after this. Um, I wanna switch gears a little bit and and thank you for diving into the the coaching uh lineage and the history that that you just brought to life. But you've also had a really um deep passion for nutrition. Uh, in this entire journey that you've gone through with, you know, coaching CrossFit, and Matt actually highlighted something when I did my podcast with him that I, I didn't know about you—that you had a long stretch of um, uh, being a vegan. You were you were eating vegan for a very long time, and then uh, transitioned and and have gone through a number of different uh, phases. But tell me a little bit about what what drew you into nutrition and what what was so kind of what lit you up about it to to be this committed to it.
1: Well, technically I was a vegetarian for 17 years, not vegan, so I just want to clarify. Um, But when I was 15, (laughs) believe it or not, um, you know, I was basically on, you know, sports teams, go figure, right? Mm -hmm. Like I was into sports, shocking. And uh, I was on cross country and track both. And the two girls who were state champions in the 800 meter, which is what I ran, um, were both vegetarian. Oh, wow. And they both had, you know, the equivalent of the gold in the state. I was like, okay, well, then that's what I'm doing. <laughs> so, doing it, probably, yeah. right? Shocker that uh, uh, physical performances what drove me that way. But I, so once I, I decided to do it because they were doing it and then hence followed, you know research after research for several years on trying to understand it and figure it out and uh, read a lot, you know feed myself with a lot of information that was like self prophecy sort of stuff you know what I mean? It was, it was an intense circle of belief. And, um, it was 17 years. And when I met Matt, uh, he was not a vegetarian, but when we started dating, bless his heart, he was like, well, if it's what you're doing, it's
0: what I'll do. So he was a vegetarian for two years. He didn't tell me that part, but, um, wow, 17 years and then two years. So he jumped on board for two of those years
1: and we went through a pretty tough journey. Um, we actually had a a stillborn. And one of the reasons for that was nutritional deficiency. Mm -hmm. And I started to really learn a lot about, you know, my doctor said to me, basically, when we were going through this process, I was in the hospital for quite a long time. um, She's like, you got two choices, Sheree. You have a blood transfusion or a steak. Like that was legitimately what she said. Like, cause you're not going to heal if you don't do something to aid the healing, you're going to be in the hospital for longer. And I'd already been in there for like three weeks or something like that. So Matt and I looked at each other and we're like, steak it is. Cause I'm like, I have this weird feeling that if I take somebody else's blood and I don't need it, like, and they were a murderer, I'll be a murderer. <laughs> I, I have all those crazy, I'm like, I don't want a blood transfusion if I don't need it. Right. I'll have, yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: like, I don't want their essence in me. So I know I'm a little strange that way. No,
0: that's okay. I would I would <laughs> choose the same. If those two options were presented to me, I'd be like, mm, probably steak.
1: <laughs> Which was kind of a big change after seven yeah.
0: years, you know? Huge change.
1: Huge change. Well, I had had a lot of physical ailments prior to that. Uh, I had seven broken bones. I had a lot wow. of uh, intestinal issues and digestion issues. And a lot of these things I had begun to believe that they were just how I, my DNA, they were how I was built.
0: Consequences of your genetics, yeah.
1: Right, like this just must be my lot in life. And so that took me down a whole nother path of information. And I think one of the most brilliant books I've ever read in this topic is called uh, The Vegetarian Myth. I haven't heard of it, no. It's a beautiful book written by a vegan who eats meat now and the journey through that process and why you know, the full circle of life and, you know, same, all the same elements I had completely gone Mm. and same with me. Like I, my bone density has increased. Like my performance has increased. Like, you know, I look at my inside tracker, like inside age and, you know, I'm 10 years younger than it says I actually am. You know, I've done so many positive things to change and it's all been through diet. I had Mm -hmm. high blood pressure. I had high resting heart rate, it was just these things that were like sending me to the grave and when I changed the way that I ate. So it changed all of it.
0: Yeah, that's, really, that's really heavy stuff. And thank you for sharing that. I know that that was um, a difficult time for you guys. Um, how would you describe your eating now? How would you describe your nutrition now in 2021?
1: About once a year, Matt and I calibrate ourselves. So we'll spend like two or three months weighing and measuring. Um, and sometimes we just try to do it as simple as possible. Right now we're actually using RP strengths because it's simple and we like them and it works. Mm. Um, but we'll change up the method or how we do it each year exactly. when it isn't that two to three month window, it's all real hand-eye meals. It's very simple to, it's similar to like, like what precision nutrition does protein, veggies, dense carb, fat three to four times a day done. Mm.
0: And then. Can That's you, it. can you just explain hand? Dye? I, I'm, I, I know what hand is, but just give us a quick rundown of how you interpret hand. Dye. Uh,
1: basically the meat is the size of your hand. So I'll just make sure I have a portion of, of protein on my plate veggies. Honestly, I just do as many as I want, as long as there isn't a whole bunch of extra stuff on them, if you know. Hmm. Um, but basically for hand, eye it would be about one to two fist, uh, dense carb. It's like half of a cup which is crazy because all of us want that to be the fist or the two-fist yeah. <laughs> size of my arm. Yeah. Like, is this the carb portion? Um, so about half of a cup. And then the fat is about a thumb. And you just do that three to four times a week or a day. Sorry, not a week. That'd be nothing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you turn into not, literally nothing and that's it. You know, and yeah. we've learned how to modify that even for our adventures
0: which Tell me a little bit about
1: a challenging thing. So I, I don't know if you're really familiar with like outdoor adventure
0: food. Just enough to be dangerous, not a whole lot.
1: <laughs> well, it's getting a lot better. Let me just say this. That's um, one of the
0: things I've heard. The meals, are, yeah, the hunting meals and stuff like that are now getting a lot better.
1: They, there's a lot more quality involved now and a lot more vegetables and things, um, and a lot less carbs. But basically what they would be is some package form of 100- to 200 grams of carbs. And that's it. And that is your adventure food because the thought process is you need the sugar for the fuel to keep you going for whatever it is you are, you're doing. And granted you generally do like, you need a higher carb diet when you're doing a lot of stuff. If you're outside for several days, working hard every single day, you need more food. We're Mm. not going to have like three to four eye meals. We definitely bump that up. Um, but you also have to balance it with some other good stuff. So like now if Matt and I go for like a four you know, hour bike ride, usually in my pack, I have something that looks like a real meal. You know, I have some meat that was prepared, you know, maybe I'll have some like baby carrots, a little bit of fruit, some nuts. So I might also have that endurance type food with me. Uh, but now I also have like a little snack pack real meal or two along the way as well. And it makes mm-hmm. me feel so much better. So much better.
0: Yeah. You, you guys certainly live a, a very adventurous life. It's cool to uh, experiment and, and dial in the things that you need to have the fuel that you need to have that type of adventure. I wanted to ask you one thing though, cause you mentioned it briefly when you were starting to talk about nutrition. And this was the fact that you can find a lot of information out there that essentially will tell you whatever story that you want to be told about nutrition. I've talked to a number of people about this is it's really fucking confusing for any, for anybody who's not deeply involved in this or in the know, or has gone through years of experimentation with their own nutrition and, and question things to parse through what is bullshit, what is actually true and what direction to, to go because you could sit down and talk to an expert who's going to tell you that veganism and vegetarianism is 100% the, the best way to go, not only for you know, optimal performance and how you look and how you feel, but also for the environment, blah, blah, blah. And then you talk to somebody on the other end of the spectrum who's going to tell you that keto and carnivore are the only ways to go, and not only for the, uh, the body and the performance, and, but also for the environment, blah, blah, blah. That's the same exact fucking reasoning behind both diets, just with yeah. a completely different way of intake. How should people parse through some of this stuff, Shari?
1: The red flag popped up in both of those examples. And the red flag is my way is the only way. That is the red flag. When you hear that, start to critically think. When you demonize things that are very normal, like food, critically think. Don't demonize carbs. Don't demonize protein. Like they're both being demonized, right? Mm -hmm. Different In fats being was demonized. When I was growing up in a teenager, I remember my mom and I used to buy everything with no fat, low fat, nothing fat, because it was going to create heart disease. Right. And I remember my sister in the grocery store, like freaking out at my mom and I, because she was like a hundred nothing pounds. She's like, I want to gain weight. Why do you guys keep <laughs> getting low fat? <laughs> so, so I think that's the red flag. Like, what hmm. are you, is it your way of the highway? And are you demonizing something? And if you are, you need to look at the opposite side of that argument. And, you know, I don't really want to get into politics, but that was something I needed to do this last four ish years because there was so much just inflammatory information that I started to listen to things that inflamed me because I wanted to hear some of those perspectives so that my brain wasn't only where it always is. Because that I learned that lesson in that whole vegetarian experiment, where, you know, I'm, the hardest thing ever doing was telling my parents I wasn't a vegetarian anymore.
0: Wow, were your parents vegetarians?
1: No, the reason why it was hard was because I preached it for 17 years.
0: Ah, yeah, when you, you the flag truly flag for so long.
1: believe something and you impart it on the world, the hard part isn't changing. The hard part is is acknowledging you were wrong, and then owning
0: that. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, that we can go on this discussion for hours and hours and hours. I, yeah. I've been pretty vocal about this, Cherie. There is a huge issue in fitness and in gi- society in general, in my opinion, with this idea of fundamentalism. And I, I also am a, a bit critical of CrossFit in, in so far that I think that they don't and haven't done the best job of letting people know that This is a way to exercise. This is a way to get fit. And this is a way to teach movement. There are countless other perspectives and ways and means and different points of view that are okay to prescribe to and to listen to and to go out there and experience and understand and then bring into your type of coaching or training and at least recognize that they exist and be able to understand the differences. That to me, when coaches within CrossFit in particular, and this is where I just know this area the most, they put on these fucking blinders sometimes. And it's only, it's gotta be 21, 15, nine. It's gotta be thrusters and pull-ups it's gotta be 95, 65. And it's not that you have to go down the road and go to the globo gym. Like that to me is bonkers. And I know that we're talking about this in terms of nutrition, but I, I just think fundamentalism is whack in general. There's no discourse. You need to talk about these things.
1: Well, and people seem to forget that these things are a science and do you really want it to just not improve, Mm. you know? And so whatever it is you believe within a science, whether it be nutrition or your workout program and how you program things, it's still evolving Mm. and you need to evolve and innovate with it. And if you don't evolve and innovate with it, you're going to get left behind, which is if that's what you want. Cool. Mm. But, you know, what I've learned as not only a mountain athlete, which is where I want my performance to be, um, but also as an aging athlete, you know, like I said, I'm almost 50. So it's like, you know, I got some different needs than I did when I got into CrossFit, (laughs) you know, (laughs) so. Things change when you get older? (laughs) I mean, I keep saying they don't, but it just keeps happening. (laughs) Um, But what I've learned is that like, you know, that particular prescription has a really great place and purpose and in that application it does exactly what it's supposed to do mm. which is a the best bang for your buck general fitness for someone who really doesn't have a whole lot of time as long as it's done correctly of course that that's a huge caveat that i need to throw in there you
0: we'll know because we'll put a little caveat. yeah let, me, let me put a little
1: caveat it has to be implemented correctly because a lot of times it is not but for me, like just a strict CrossFit program does not make me prepared to go on a bike track, bike packing trip with Matt for two weeks and, ru- and mountain bike 40 miles a day. Mm. It doesn't. Now, I don't want to go on a strictly mountain biking program because I don't want no upper body and just legs and a heart. Like, there, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's exactly what you need to do if you want to be a mountain biker.
0: Yeah.
1: And that you want to be professional at that. But I want a combination of both of those things. And I know that just doing 21, 15, nine, five minute, 20 minute workout isn't going to get me anywhere near close because at the end of day one, I'm not ready for day two, let alone day 14.
0: Yeah. I, I think that that's, a, it's a really important statement and, you know, not devaluing in any way, the amazing things that can come out of a CrossFit program, but just, just stating a fact. And I can relate to this in terms of my own practice with jiu-jitsu. like. Yeah, it gives me a strong base to move into this discipline, but like it didn't really prepare me for the rigors of what it's going to be like to fight another human being for five rounds in a row. You know, it's, it's very, very, very different. Um, and, and I think I that's, think it's that's okay.
1: I don't think that's what it was meant to be. I yeah. think we've all turned it into this thing that it's the end all be all. I don't think it was meant to be that. I think it was just meant to be the base that you're talking about. And oh yeah. Yeah. Now add in the other stuff that makes sense. And so Matt and I do a traditional style CrossFit workout max twice a week now.
0: Yeah. I I'm, I'm,
1: love it, but that's about the max.
0: I'm kind of right there with you. I'm um, maybe like one day more like three days of higher intensity type of CrossFit style training. And then I balance it out with some other stuff, but no, I, I agree with you 100%. I don't think that when this charter was originally established, I actually know for a fact when it was originally established, it wasn't meant to be do CrossFit to do more CrossFit. Like this right. fucking backwards. Like you're <laughs> supposed to get out of the gym and go and do other shit. Totally. I, t- I, I found myself, and I've talked, I think I talked to Matt about this as well when he was on the show, where it was like, I got so involved and invested and kind of like we were talking about earlier in in this conversation where like, I just felt the need and the desire to walk through the doors of CrossFit New England every single day Mm -hmm. to forego these other things. No, I'm not going to go on a hike. No, I'm not going to go on a bike ride. I'm going to go in the gym and do my training and then be smashed for the rest of the day. Like Mm -hmm. I was solely doing CrossFit for more CrossFit sake.
1: At the end of Matt's competitive career, it created some big problems with us
0: Hmm.
1: because the core of who we are as a couple, we, we dated for our, we were
0: friends for over three years before we ever dated and we were together for a long time.
1: We just celebrated our 15 wedding anniversary. Wow.
0: That's amazing. Congratulations.
1: Thanks. It was super fun. We had a great time. I think uh, it's probably the happiest I've been in our marriage in all of the 15 years, which is kind of a cool thing to feel.
0: That's yeah. unbelievable.
1: Yeah, it's a really cool thing to feel because sometimes throughout that journey, you don't really know where it's gonna go. <laughs> You're just like, "Oh my gosh, what's happening?" Um, but this year, I think we both had the same sentiment that we were just like, "We are so darn lucky that we grew together." You know, in the same direction, which is really all that takes is just growing together. Um, but my point was, is like, the thing that brought us together, the thing that holds us together when things get really rough is doing things outside. And I think each relationship has a different thing that holds them together. You know, ours just happens to be that. That's the thing we have in common. And we would spend, you know, like I said, when we were friends, it'd be like, hey, you want to go climb a boulder for a couple of days? Sure, let's go. Like, and we would just spend two days in the woods together regularly. When we got tied up into CrossFit, we stopped almost all of that. We would do like a little thing here, a little thing here. Our skills in the mountains got worse. Our capacity in the mountains got worse. Um, And it was because we weren't spending time in the mountains. And our relationship got worse because we weren't filling it. And so at the end of his competitive career, we we started to have some pretty serious problems. And that's actually when we decided to, Leave our gym and hop in an airstream for a year. That was the whole reason we did that. Was because we were choosing each other instead of the lifestyle we had created around achieve.
0: Yeah, I, I I mean, I can only imagine that could be very difficult. You have two people who were very successful in their own ways within this thing, CrossFit. You know, both in on the coaching side and then on the competitive side. And then Matt obviously achieved crazy success as an as an athlete but you can get to the end of that road and have kind of a crisis of personality and identity and figuring out what are we and who am I? And um, no, it's really, it's really cool to be able to, to share that one. And then also I'm glad that you guys obviously found rekindled that connection and tell me about, you've mentioned the outdoors a number of times and, you know, kind of started off there. And now towards the end, we're getting back there. What is it about, getting outside for you and spending time in nature that makes it so special and so revealing for you?
1: It's really interesting because I have been working on this a lot lately to try to understand because uh, I have had a really negative relationship with nature after Matt's accident.
0: Oh boy. So that's been fun. Can you Um, give us just a a brief uh, review of what happened with Matt? We were. It was Fourth of July about
1: seven years ago. We're doing a super chill mountain bike ride in Boulder. It was actually in Nutterland, but near Boulder. Never done the ride before, and I have always been a, probably an irresponsible outdoorsman before that point, really, to be honest. But I didn't really care ever where we were going, how long it was going to take, what provisions we needed. Like I just, I felt at home when Let's I was go. Yeah, it didn't matter to me. I was like a kid. It was like. Okay, whatever you say about the outdoor. Okay, um, and that's kind of how this ride was. I was like, okay, and so I had no idea where we were. Honestly, we'd never ridden there before, and Matt just falls over a, a stupid little branch, basically a root in the ground, and he tore his femoral artery, and oh, it's a injury. And luckily, his muscle mass saved his life, which was pretty miraculous, really. If he didn't have the quad muscles that he had, he would have died. That's his uh, plastic surgeon gave me that information, which is pretty amazing. It's heavy. It is. And so I went through something you never want to do as, you know, a partner. And that is like, well, my husband's going to die. And I need to figure out I need to do the right thing so he doesn't die. And interestingly enough, through working through this, it occur- it it's come to light that my safe place has always been nature. It's been the place that, you know, I didn't have the easiest childhood. I have it, you know, growing up and and whenever I would have these sort of moments of of tension or crisis or arguments or whatever, like everything went away when I was outside. And it was just me and nature and move human movement. And I felt connected and I don't really think I'm spiritual. I don't really have a whole lot of that side of me, but nature's that for me, it makes me feel full. And that went away when Matt went through his accident. Oh,
0: man.
1: It started coming back slowly but surely, but with it came back this huge fear that I would lose him just by walking in on a trail. Yeah. <laughs> so I think to answer your first question is like, what is it about nature? For me, when I am outside doing something physical, and it, I mean, I like to enjoy sunset too, but it generally has to be something physical and difficult for me to really be in it. I feel truly alive. I mean, that's the most I feel alive ever. And that's why it keeps drawing me back. Mm -hmm. And so when all of this fear and negativity came up around it, that's why I have to figure it out and heal it because I don't want to take away this one thing that's been a cornerstone my entire
0: life that's made me feel alive. How did you start to to figure out improving that relationship? Because that could be there were some people out there, I'm sure who would go fuck this. I'm never <laughs> going uh, mountain biking ever again. You know, I'm just going to stick to my neighborhood sidewalks over here and that will be my nature. But how, how did you and Matt, um, you know, heal that relationship? So I did that for a few years, actually what you said, mm-hmm. I, I avoided
1: it for a while and I just felt so depressed and so dead inside. Like it's just something, something, this big piece of me was missing and we would still go and do our adventures and they'd be these small things. They'd never really be things that could put us in any sort of real risk. And it just, I don't know, it never felt, I was like, well, okay, that was nice. Or that was fun. And I would start to have, when Matt would suggest doing bigger, heavier things, I would start to have this physical response where my entire body would shake. I would like, I would almost start going into a panic attack which um currently i am seeing someone for this and she said it's not a panic attack at all it's a memory of the accident and so i relive it every time we go to do something dangerous whatever that feeling was which is kind of crazy and so i was like like well, this can't be life yeah <laughs> right it's it's a way like, to live yeah it's like when i had a back injury in 2009 and the doctor's like oh you'll never lift again no that that's no You know, I went on to go to the games after that and had the strongest back I've ever had. So that mentality, it's just the same for this, right? It's like, okay, here's the next obstacle. It just happens to be a mental one and not a physical one. And I have to figure out how to have a relationship with it so that it doesn't interfere with what I know is important to us. And the last year we've had some of the most fun adventures we have had in over a decade. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's been a journey for me, for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't know any of this. And um, again, thank you for sharing. I, I could completely understand how that event and the impacts of that event could lead to, you know, whether or not it's, and I'm not a doctor, obviously, which stress, anxiety, panic attacks, PTSD, a memory, whatever it is, it, it definitely is a real experience that you're having when you think of that, that time and that place. Um, What's next on the list for you in terms of adventure and, and getting out there. And I know that you guys are um, very involved now with being a competitive mountain athletes. Uh, what, what is, what's on next on the list for you, Shuri?
1: Wouldn't call me competitive, but I love it. Um, I, I definitely am competitive at some things, but being a mountain athlete, I don't love being competitive at that. What mm-hmm. <laughs> I am doing the Leadville 100 next year but that was just because it was a challenge. And uh, I was like, Matt, like basically gave me a dare. And I went online two years ago to see if I could get in. Cause it's one of those things you never get it. I'm like, it's not going to happen. <laughs> and then I got in. So I'll be, I'll be doing the Leadville 100 next year, which is a hundred mile bike r- race that uh, Matt has done previously on, on your mountain bike. Um, before that, we we're doing a seven day ski traverse called the Hout Route in the Swiss Alps. The what? The Hout Route hout route h-a-u-t-e um and there's a couple different hout routes in the world this is the sort of og if you will um in the and you basically take your skis across the alps for seven days and just traverse yeah it'll be really cool and you stay in these like european castles on the top of a mountain that you're like how did they build this here
0: that sounds unreal (laughs) that sounds awesome and
1: how did this get here uh, so that's happening in April. And then before that, this August, we were supposed to do all of the Colorado trail on our bike, which is the 450 mile bike uh, mountain bike trail. But Matt got this wonderful opportunity to be a instructor at the fire Academy at the department that he works at. So cool. he, we're going to put that on hold and do that next year.
0: Very cool. I, um, I wish I could do only a fraction of some of those things. They sound like amazing adventures. I have to be better. It's actually on my goals list to be better about getting outside and experiencing even things locally here in the Pacific Northwest or in California. Um, I'm one of those people that gets very wrapped up in everything that I do and. I'm probably currently on the wheel. I'm I'm probably spinning the wheel.
1: (laughs) But you can see out your you can see
0: out the window, right? Yeah, the small window. window The
1: wheel, and you can't see out the window.
0: Like one of those little windows in the back of the van. That's what I got. Like I don't have a big window right now. Um, I (laughs) definitely have to be better that at that. But Shuri, I really enjoyed today's conversation. Thank you so much. We've gone an hour here, and uh, I want to be respectful of your time. I know you're a very uh, very busy lady. Um, Any last uh, words or thoughts for uh, listeners here? Goodness,
1: that's so hard because, you know, I don't really know what it is that they want to learn or know, but I think, you know, sometimes when we're kind of going through life and we're seeing all this wheel that
0: you're talking about, just take a breath and
1: ask what it
0: is you really want. That's deep, I like that, very cool. And then where can my listeners find out more about you and then anything else that you're doing right now? Currently, I'm very heavily in
1: uh, working with Train for the Win, so Train Mm -hmm. for the Win. Uh, or train FTW as it were. And my email is sheree at train FTW. So that's easy enough. Um, I do training out of our garage. We just built a brand new gym on our property, which is really awesome. We're so stoked. It took us two years. I can't. It's awesome. It. Um, yeah. It's amazing. And
0: I do private training there and I'm loving the private training. Very it's cool. So fun. So you do uh, uh one-on-one private training out of the garage
1: Yep. And interestingly enough, all of the people that have found me miraculously, so I don't know how, are all people that I started training 13 years ago.
0: That's very cool. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. it's like a time hop. <laughs>
1: it's like a full circle. I haven't trained them in at least, you know, eight to 10 years. And now they're like, Hey, I want to come be trained by you. <laughs> oh
0: <laughs> so yeah. Very cool. That but- part has been really fun. I'd love to have you back on. We, I mean, we talked about coaching and fitness and stuff earlier on, but I would love to have you back on down the road and talk a little bit more about your journey as a one-on-one private trainer and and what it's been like working within. And it's an amazing gym that you guys built out. So kudos to you. Um, You also have a a strong social media following. Where can my listeners find you on on social media?
1: Um, I'm slightly embarrassed by my handle, but it's been so many years. I can't really (laughs) change it now. At shrizzle.
0: At shrizzle. Yeah. Very, very cool. And Sheree, you know, probably the only person in the CrossFit community who's got cooler tattoos than your husband, <laughs> <Okay>. Matt. <laughs> we didn't even talk about that, but amazing artwork and um, looking forward to our next conversation. Thanks very much for the time.
1: Oh, it was so awesome to, to talk with you. I'm, I'm humbled and grateful. Thank you.
0: All right. Talk to you soon. Hello, friends. MDV here. Thank you for listening to the Intro with MDV podcast. And if you enjoy today's show, please subscribe for weekly downloads wherever you listen to your podcast. Remember, we have a new episode coming to you every Tuesday. And if you have time and five stars to spare, please leave me a rating and review on iTunes. If you're looking for more out of me, MDV, you can find me on Instagram at MDV underscore FIT. Until next time, friends. Let's go.